This week on Overtime, we go in. All the things about marriage, I cannot wait. You want to make sure you like and subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And this week, I'm so excited. We're in a new series Absolutely. and we're calling it Path, which I appreciate as someone with a little lisp. You considered calling it paths. You didn't even bring this up. <laughs> Just got to keep it real. <laughs> and I'm very thankful that we switched to path singular. And before we get into the actual topic of the sermon, I just want to talk a little bit about why this series, why path for a series that's talking about things like marriage and singleness and family. Yeah, the more that we talked, um, I think for so many one of the issues that I struggle with is that so much of marriage and singleness seems about it seems to be focused around destination. Mm-hmm. And although I'm all about like planning and having goals and having dreams and kind of being motivated to a to a destination, the the more I read scripture, the more I realize uh, that the the will of God is less about the destination and more about the journey. So then we just started talking about this idea of how do we approach the relationship of marriage, the journey of marriage, the journey of singleness from this place of God's will for the right now, not for the what will be. Mm -hmm. I think when we focus on the right now, we live in this place. It's it's just fulfillment seems easier, right? Because I'm focused on today, not what's going to happen 20 years from now. Right. Um, satisfaction, like satisfaction and, um, uh, productivity seems a little bit more easier. Like even, even for the single person trying to figure out completion and how to feel like they're completed in their relationship with the Lord. If they're always thinking that one day when I get, Oh, I used to not make long-term decisions because I would think, well, I have no idea if I'm going to meet someone and he might not want to live in this country that I feel like God might be calling me to. And so I would just stay the course. And it, it gets to a point that if you're not careful living in that place, afraid of the destination, like, um, like when that becomes the, the goal, that's, that's like all I'm thinking about. We lose sight of what the Lord has for us in our every day. And I think the every day is where God is honored. And every day, um, is where he, you know, that passage that we, we spoke about in, in the, the proverb that speaks about how he illuminates our path, that this, it's not the destination is this beautiful consequence of the will of God, but the the will of God is our, for our daily journey, that daily path. Yeah, we talked about Psalm 119, 105, and I know the King James version, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I know I've talked about this with a lot of people over the years. What we want is like a floodlight. Mm-hmm. Like we want God's word to be this floodlight that shows us 12 steps down the path and we're going to see exactly where we're going. But a lamp, if you think about it, especially like an oil lamp that this would be referring to, you kind of hold it up and it basically shows you that you're not going to step in a hole on your next step, but it's not giving you much down the road. And um, it's kind of freeing to think about that because it can be tense to try to try to think 12 steps down the road and um, be so focused on the future. Yeah. Like it's, it's that, um, when, when you have kids and you're saying things like, Hey, this summer we're going to Disney world. Well, it becomes this all intensive focus on Disney world. Now, the truth is those kids aren't worried about the airfare. They're not worried about the trip. They don't know what to do. Um, but even in that, you can see almost the anxiety that builds up in some kids 
because they're so focused on the destination, they can't focus on the schoolwork that's in front of them. We still have two months. We still have to navigate school life. We still have to navigate, you know, things like taking a shower and brushing your teeth and eating food. <laughs> um, and, and so if we're not careful and we relegate the will of God to the destination, we lose sight of how he desires for us to live in the everyday. Mm -hmm. Do you think any of that um, has to do with like we're not looking far enough? Because we all know ultimately as the people of God, our destination is to be with God forever in his kingdom glorifying him. Sometimes I feel like we just get lost in this middle land where we're not thinking about today, but we're not thinking about the eternal. And it's just this like weird. Yeah. But even then, when I think about the internal, I have to prioritize it to what am I doing today to get to the eternal? Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely. I think we don't think about the eternal enough. We don't think big picture enough, mm -hmm. um, but we also have a tendency of thinking that that middle place, that destination is what's going to actually set up the eternal. Yeah. Is no, like, how you talk with your coworker just today when you walked in the, to work, God's more concerned about that conversation than he is whether you have the 3.2 kids and the dog named Fluffy and the white picket fence, or you have the, the, you know, the dream job, or you get to take the tree, the dream vacation and like all that stuff. I think ultimately to your point muddies the waters between how do I live for God today in order that I can invest in eternity. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. So this week we looked specifically at marriage, that path of marriage. And a lot of what you said, I know you say this at the beginning, but there's always a little piece of me that's like, well, a lot of this message won't apply to me as a single person. But actually you had this idea of transactional marriage that you talked about that I think applies to, definitely applies to marriages, but also applies to just the way that we live relationally. And this idea that so often we can approach relationships with a desire to win. Mm -hmm. Will you talk about what that looks like a little bit in the context of marriage? Unfortunately, if you uh, are married or been around married people for long enough, you know exactly what this looks like. Um, we, in, in 2023, there is this nuance that the pinnacle of success is just being true to self. So we kind of have idolized this thought of you do you or I'm going to live my truth. And what it's created within the context of marriage is this place where it's all about the individual. So our finances becomes about how uh, I win as a husband. Um, our, our, our planning and direction becomes about how I can advance as a husband. Um, even even um, sex life becomes very um, selfish and very about me. And in we we haven't done a good job as a church culture because what we basically said is we're just going to define who wins. We're going to read this passage of submission and we're going to tell you here's the order and this is how. And yet the first portion of Ephesians, when speaking about marriage, Paul says uh, he makes this he makes this statement and furthermore submit to one another at a reverence for Christ. So he removes the transactional attitude that we currently have in marriage. He's saying, no, no, you're both to submit. And what that submission looks like is different. And we'll get into the nuance of that. But what I feel like that does is now it makes me as my, as the husband, it makes me responsible to make sure that I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of my wife so that she wins. And then it takes my wife and it makes her responsible to sacrifice as a wife to make sure that I win as a husband. 
And when you live in that place where you're both mutually submitted, and, and this is where the caveat is, it's not even mutually submitted to each other, but it's mutually submitted to each other out of reverence for Christ. Mm -hmm. So the way that my wife submits, it's, it's not based on whether or not I'm a good husband or I'm doing well, because I'm going to try my hardest. But the truth is, I'm, there's always going to be those moments of failure. It doesn't then excuse her, um, her uh, what God would call her to, to, to live in submission. And if for some reason she fails at something, it doesn't mean that I don't know, I no longer have to submit as a husband because our submission, although it's to each other, is unto Christ. So ultimately, the way that I phrase it, is that when I'm focused on her winning and she's focused on me winning, we both win, God is glorified, and ultimately the kingdom of God is expanded, he wins. Yeah, what would you, you kind of briefly mentioned it within your marriage, but my first thought on that is sometimes people are in marriages where really one person is committed to that and the other person is just not. And it, you know, it's one thing if it's a couple bad days, but when you're in this season where it feels like the other spouse is not desiring for you to win while you're trying to do what you can, how would you encourage someone in that? Well, I mean, the scripture encourages this. There's really some clear language in scripture that speaks towards the, the, the continued kind of behavior of you just got to keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, with that said, I just a little caveat. When it comes to this conversation of marriage, there's a sensitivity because we also know that there are marriages like just it were being... Uh, honest, there are marriages that end in divorce, and we see kind of the tearing apart of divorce. Um, and there's in in Scripture, according to what we believe, um, there there are two biblical grounds for divorce: one being, of course, infidelity, and the other one being abuse. There is in, in my, you know, this passage in Ephesians that we we always jump to to um, to verse twenty one and and start this conversation of marriage. But the conversation that Paul actually begins is at the beginning of the chapter, where he starts off by saying, "Imitate God." Mm -hmm. And there's no room for abuse when we're attempting to imitate God. So um, with that caveat said, there's a, there's a huge middle ground between right. abuse and just needing to consistently submit and commit. Again, that's why it's so critical that this passage begins with submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, that we are uh, my efforts are not excused by a lack of efforts on the other side of the conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I just think remembering when you think about what Christ has done for us, it becomes so much easier, I would imagine, again, not having experienced marriage, but just in other relationships. Sometimes I'm holding people to too high a standard. And then when I remember what Christ has done to me, for me, that I totally don't deserve, that is totally one-sided so often, it's a lot easier to extend grace when you're aware of the grace that's been extended you. Absolutely. And not, yeah, yeah, no, it's great. So we move in to first what Paul says about wives. Yeah. Do you want to read that passage? Sure. It says, um, for wives, this means submit to your husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. The church, as the church submits to Christ, so is to your wife, should submit to her husband in everything. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and his wife must respect her husband. So I jumped down to 33 there to mm -hmm. kind of give the full picture. Yeah. So you talked about this idea of respect. Mm -hmm. And I think we have, we have kind of a nebulous understanding of respect right now. Some people, that's like a dirty word. Um, others, like, obviously we would respect anyone. So what is Paul really talking about when he tells wives to respect their husbands? 
Well, there's two things that I see in this passage that I also, I think is really kind of lacking. I, I think this passage illuminates some absolute needs in culture right now when it comes to marriage. And, and there's kind of two of those nuances. Number one, Paul's speaking specifically about respect for direction. That's why he kind of creates this headship model right here, <laughs> kind of lays that out. And often in marriages, what I'm finding in 2023 is there isn't a respect for direction. What I mean by that is, um, and the example I use is there's there's a lot of, hey, we're moving to Albuquerque. Yeah, do you know anyone who's ever moved to Albuquerque? No, <laughs> Just I, curious. I don't know where Albuquerque is. That's that's how bad my geography is. <laughs> New Mexico. That's, I figured it was somewhere there. Um, but within the scope of culture right now, um, again, this, I got to be true to me. This is all about kind of my inner self and making sure that, I, you know, we make these huge decisions without considering um, the the person that you were supposed to be one with. And so that respect issue when it comes to direction in the home, um, I can't tell you how many marital conversations I have where the it really is, you know, well, uh, I, I've talked to my girls, I've talked to my counselor, I've talked to my pastor, I've talked to my my group leader. Have you talked to your husband? Well, we, we haven't talked too much about it yet. Um, that within the scope of marriage becomes dangerous because mm-hmm. there should be a level of uh, a measure of weight that's, um, that's given to the voice of the person that you're doing life with. Um, I, I have such a high idea of marriage. Paul does too, like it, it, that it should be taken with such weight right mm-hmm. um but i have a, such a high idea of marriage because the truth is my plan with my wife is forever mm-hmm. right so we will have a season where the boys are in the house i love the boys to death but they know you there's going to be a day where you're out the house and doing your own thing and, and i'm praying to god for your you know future spouse and your kids and i can't wait for that all but you go mom and dad are still forever so there is no one higher. Like I, I honor my wife to my boys. Like we have that conversation constantly. You don't talk to you. You can't. And it's funny because I use the nuances. You don't talk to my wife that way. Because I want them to know, yes, that she's your mom. But first she was my wife. And I know that people struggle with that idea. But it's it's the way that I set that priority in the home. So when it comes to things of direction, I want to make sure that we're, we're spending time and having conversation and her voice and, and my voice in her life weighs more than any other voice. And you know, you might not like that. I don't know what to tell you. It's what we find here in scripture. But what we've learned about strong, healthy marriages is that that, that time of communication, got to learn how to talk to each other. My voice has to have a unusual weight compared to every other voice in her life. And to use your example, because I feel like sometimes people hear this and what they think is the wife can't have an opinion or a desire. That's different. So like, say Jess got an incredible job offer in Albuquerque. And so she comes home and she's saying, hey, I think I might want to move to Albuquerque. And you're just like, I don't even know where that is. What does that practically look like to begin that conversation and to respect the husband and give him that that primary voice and direction? So remember, uh, we'll get to the husbands eventually. But when he talks about husband, he says, love your wife. And actually later on, um, we'll make sure that I make the the. The, the, the quote right um first peter actually talks about honoring your wife as a husband mm-hmm. so it's not respect just one way right like there's respect across the board because that word honor and respect is really close to each other even the original language is very close right so um if i'm living in respect and she's living in respect ultimately we're weighing each other's conversation because here this this is i mean kind of you focus in for a second if if you're married 
because you're one, right? Like, so um, Paul goes on to talk about how to love your spouse is like loving yourself because ultimately you and your spouse are one, like mm -hmm. are one. So why wouldn't I hold weight to what my wife is saying? Why wouldn't she hold weight to what I'm saying? Right. So what it looks like practically is, and I, I mean, this has been exampled in our lives. There's been seasons where just like, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just going to tell you, we don't throw around the, this is what God's saying a lot. If that comes out of my wife's mouth, I trust her enough to know, oh, we need to seek this out in prayer. Nothing, we never try to make a decision in a rush. I'm just going to tell you, the minute you try to make decisions in rushes, like, oh, we got to make this decision right now, things just start falling apart. But for us, whenever there's a big move that needs to be made, it is bathed in seasons of prayer. And we're not saying, how do you feel? We're saying, what do you think God is saying? Right. And there's a, di there's a difference. Mm -hmm. um, when we transitioned up here from North Carolina, um, I, I remember specifically a part of my prayer was, God, um, you need to reveal this to me, but I pray you would also reveal this to my wife in confirmation. Mm -hmm. And I remember like it was clean as day. I, I, we, were, we were kind of tussling over this thing. I said, uh, and, and even the job, when the job offer came, there was a little bit of an immediacy in the conversation. I'm like, well we need to pray. And I know that you're in a rush, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be in a rush. Right. So I'm going to bring this to my wife. We're going to bring this to mentors. We're going to, we're going to bathe this thing in prayer. But I remember coming home one day, um, in the middle of that process. And my wife is sitting with her Bible open on the counter and she looked over to me in tears. And I was like, what's up? She's like, I think we should, I think it's time to go. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's, she pointed me to the passage in scripture where Jesus is telling the disciples, pack your stuff. It's time to go. Now here we completely out of context to the story that was happening, but the Lord used that that writing to completely move my wife's heart. And because that was my prayer, it was confirming to what God was already saying. So because I respected uh, God's voice through her life and she respected God's voice through my life, we were able to make a decision together and collectively. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that every directional decision because transactional marriage said, this will be really good for my career. This will be really good for my per my perceived idea of what family should look like. But if it's not bathed in prayer and there's not good conversations, you could absolutely be making the wrong moves with the right intention. It's such a comforting reminder. God's not going to speak to a couple that he's brought together and tell the husband one thing and the wife the opposite thing and then be like, figure it out. I think sometimes in our heads, we think God might treat us that way, absolutely. but he's going to... He's going to lead people in the same yeah. direction. Now there has been, and, and just so you know, there's seasons of conflict, but I would tell you when there's seasons of conflict, that's a really good indicator to slow down, mm -hmm. right? Hey, I feel like maybe it's time to make a move. I'm not sure, right? Um, it's happened with us with housing markets, right? Like there's been times where I'm like, ah, oh, maybe it's time to buy a house. And I look over at Jess and she's like, uh, I'm not feeling it. Well, let's pray. Mm -hmm. Like, let's. Take it to the Lord. Now, I ultimately know eventually we're going to have to make a decision. Uh, and I'm not afraid to make that decision. I just want, I just know that we serve a God who's able to speak. And I trust that my wife is listening to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So Paul moves on. He doesn't only talk to wives. He talks to husbands. And I'll have you read that one too, just to make sure we're, we're getting it right. <laughs> it says uh, for husbands, this means love your wife is, uh, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself uh, gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed in the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Instead, 
She will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ Jesus cares for the church. We are members of his body. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's a pretty big deal to be asked to love as Christ loves the church. That's not like a cinder roses on Valentine's Day kind of instruction. <laughs> no, it's a little um, it's a little intimidating. And quite honestly, um, <laughs> a lot of guys struggle with this idea of sacrifice. I mean, you have a hard time sharing the remote. And what Jesus is saying through Paul is, no, you need to lay your life down. And that's a, that's a challenging place. I, I, I believe that kind of if, if you read through this passage, there are three specific areas, like provision, protection, and then ultimately sacrifice that mm -hmm. we would provide like i think that is key in outlining this passage just like jesus provided for us I, I believe that his instruction to us if we're going to love our wives the way that christ loved the church we have to provide for our wives and again spiritually emotionally and physically this isn't just i make enough money keep your mouth shut i don't want to hear you come like that's it's that's horrible and toxic Mm -hmm. There needs to be concerned about not just physical, because there's sometimes where more money doesn't actually help the spirit or the emotions, right. right? So there's times where she actually wouldn't prefer you get the raise and spend less time at the house. Mm -hmm. There there needs to be this concern about provision emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And First Timothy gives us a pretty strong warning about people who don't provide, saying that they're worse than unbelievers, which is one of the tougher chapters of um, excuse me, one of the tougher chapters of scripture, um, but true nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like really in any of these areas, protection, provision, sacrifice? You talked about doing that emotionally and doing that spiritually, but I think sometimes it's hard to wrap our minds around what does it actually mean to protect someone emotionally? What does yeah. that mean? So protection, emotional, like any form of protection requires an awareness. Like if, if you're saying, John, hey, um, protect this, you know, studio. The first thing I need to do is figure out where all the entrances are, all the exits, all the vulnerabilities. Okay, is it that Under Armour commercial? Will yeah, you protect this house? Here <laughs> um, you go. We got a title. Um, uh, but there is this concept of uh, you. You have to be aware, and I think ultimately for the husband, it, it means you have to be aware of your wife's emotional position, which again requires incredible amounts of conversation, and then you have to become in tune to your wife's not just actual language body language all that stuff matters this is this is why i love marriage because i don't have to be great at this day one i have years to learn this mm -hmm. and i do like i'm I, we're 20 plus years into marriage um I, my wife can see me walk through the door and say something to me like you need to you need to up your gym membership and get back into the gym without me saying a word not just because i'm carrying more more weight <laughs> But because I'm also, she'll see it in my eyes. You're carrying more emotional weight. And I know that this is one of the ways that, you know, for uh, for, for years I was struggling with a little bit of a creative thing. It was my wife who purchased me pottery classes. It was like, well, you're going to learn this new thing, not just because I think it's cool, but also because she was able to read m me emotionally. Right. And in the same way as a husband, I have to be aware, baby, you know, why don't you take off for the day? I'll take the boys. I'll make sure the house is set. You just you just look like you might need some time. It also requires 
that for a lot of for a lot of guys who are not incredibly verbal, it does require you to do some things that you're not good at, which again requires you to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm not good at that. That means I don't have to do it. But that's not what the scripture is saying at all. That means that I'm not good at that, but I'm going to lay down my preferences in order to step into this intentionally and make sure that I am aware of what's around and then put up those boundaries and perimeters to help protect not just my wife, but my home Mm -hmm. as a whole when it comes to emotions. I can imagine that early on in marriage, a lot of times what you hear from newlyweds is it's a little bit shocking how you thought that you knew someone and then it's totally different to be in marriage with them. And then here you are kind of 20 years down the road, really becoming an expert at knowing Jess, being able to tell how she's feeling. How would you encourage someone or what questions would you tell them to ask who's in that beginning place that it might feel impossible to know someone that well down the road? Um, so some of this, I, I, I'm, I hesitate a little bit because I think some of our American mentality is our, our westernized mentality is give me my punch list. Mm-hmm. I want to read the book. Give me the book that I need to read. The problem is every wife is so uniquely different. That's why I'm glad you said that. I do not claim to be an expert at marriage. This is not John's step into, hey, read the blog, buy the book. Here's a video series. I'm an expert at Jess, mm-hmm. right? The only reason I'm an expert at Jess is not because I follow some 15-step foolproof 10. There's some great books out there, Five Love Languages. Um, I, I mean, we can we can rattle off a, a bunch of different, you got to know who you are. Like, we can walk through all that. But at the core of it, time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just going to take time. It's going to take having those conversations after the fight. Right. Because you're going to fight. And we talk about that in premarital counseling all the time. Like you got to learn how to fight. It's going to take some time. But eventually what you'll learn is that tension is a part of life. Navigating those arguments are a part of life. And the more you can learn from them, the better they are in producing and a result that expands your marriage versus restricts it. Mm-hmm. So um, it, and that requires just time and honest conversation. Um, one of the things that I've been suggesting lately is that well, from a real practical place is to make sure that you are putting on your calendar time of conversation. I'm not even telling you date night. Date night's great idea. I love date night. But often date night is let's go to a movie and decompress because, man, these kids have been driving me crazy. Work's been nuts. I just, I don't need to talk about deep things. I just need to chill with you. Like we need to laugh and have popcorn. The problem is, is that date night becomes critical conversation time because we have no other slated time for it. My parents had a weekly phone call when we were growing up. Absolutely. And I think, remember you telling me that and love the idea in that phone call, if I remember, like slated out the schedule for the week Mm -hmm. and hey, who's bringing Bo to practice and who's taking Ashley to her counseling because she's crazy. Um, Just kidding. Uh, Still working on it. (laughs) Um, But across the board, that to me was such a phenomenal way of saying, no, there's some things we need to talk about. And I'm sure there was conversations about like the mortgage and, hey, we're going to make this move or, hey, we're stepping into a different season with work. There's something we need to talk about. So, yeah, scheduling that that time where we are having some deeper conversations um, and often a lot of those conversations are where's your soul at? Where's your heart at? What's God saying to you is a question that I I think needs to be a part of every home's conversation, every marriage conversation, because ultimately, if if you're not hearing from the Lord and I'm not hearing from the Lord, neither one of us can submit to each other as unto the Lord. Right. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there anything 
that we didn't hit on that you want to talk about marriage-wise in this podcast? Um, you mentioned something when I walked in today that you thought was strong. And I didn't mention it second service, but I mentioned it first. Oh, yeah. Could you rephrase that conversation? So um, in the service, go back and watch it. John did this whole illustration. I mean, you can't watch this particular yeah. part, but you did the illustration in both. That's that unity candle that you, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably seen it where each spouse has their candle lit and they come and put it together and you talked really practically, but also like kind of blew my mind. I'd never thought about it before how once that flame is together, no one can separate that and be like, no, this part was from this candle and this was this, it was together. But one of the things that you said that really struck me is that a lot of people will live with just the two single candles kind of pushed together as though that's the same as what happens in marriage where you light the one candle and two become one instead of just two really close together. Do you want to talk about that anymore? Yeah, I think both before marriage and then in some marriages, even in marriage, they still kind of try to live that way, mm-hmm. right? So the thinking is, and I wish I had two candles, which make a lot more sense, <laughs> just me banging my thumbs together. But um, the thinking is in the unity candle, two become one, right? but they stop becoming in the individual now again man i send all your emails i'll take them off <laughs> um it's not that i lose sense of who i am right i just now i'm totally invested into who i've become mm-hmm. right it's it's two individual things becoming one new individual thing and and i go a step further and say two complete things because mm-hmm. the idea that just is going to complete me is completely toxic to the marriage. It's right. completely toxic. So as a single adult, you are completed, right? Mm-hmm. If you have your relationship with the Lord and that's in the right place, you are completed in him and him alone. Paul talks all about it. Next week, we'll, yeah. you know, drag it through the mud. Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily become unified. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be married. I, I'm going to, uh, you know, cohabitate because it's convenient because, oh man, the economy's crazy. But man, if she's not the one, I still have a back door out. Right. So I got to make sure that nothing's brought together and even really practical way, things like bank accounts and, and, um, uh, mortgages and, and cars, right? Like even a very practical way, I got to make sure that I have a quick exit. I have a friend that's a, a survivalist. And uh, he always has a go bag. And I've always loved that about him, that he always has a go bag because there's a thought in the back of his head that the most important thing, if the whole world breaks apart, is making sure my family's safe. Here's my go bag. This is what I need. The part that's a little challenging there is you're not careful. You're always thinking about your go bag. There's always an exit out. Mm -hmm. And I think for so many people living like this, they think well, this is what marriage is, and it's just not because there's always an exit out. Marriage, there's no exits in marriage. And John, you, you can tell me till you blue in the face. Of course, there's exits in marriage. It's called divorce, um, but that's because you probably haven't walked somebody through that. Mm-hmm. It is it is messy. It is ugly. It is hard. It is so hard. And not that God doesn't honor people on the other side and build people and there's restoration. But man, I've seen enough divorces tear through homes to know that when he says, that, you know, when God puts something together, let no man attempt to take apart because he knows that that pulling apart is sloppy and messy. So you can play like you're married, but until you are unified, and I wish I can tell you what that is practically. Like, you're like, oh, you mean like joining everything together financially? Like, no. So much of it is different for each 
couple, because I even know couples who keep separate bank accounts, but they've divvied up Absolutely. what they're doing. So sometimes you hear stuff like that and you're like, oh, am I not really married because I have separate bank accounts? Absolutely. And matter of fact, I'll go a step further and tell you that there's something so spiritual about it. I can't even explain it. Uh, people ask me, like, what are some of the moments in my life that I felt God the most? Man, when Jess walked down the aisle and uh, I still remember the minister leans over to me and says, lead your wife in communion. I lost it. Mm. I lost it. I felt the spirit of God in such a heavy way. I felt the weight of this union coming together. To some degree, there was this moment of mourning because I knew I wasn't going home. Like this is, I'm building something new. The Lord's using us to build something new together. Um, it was so weighty. Did anything change from one minute to the next? Oh, it's just the spirit of God that I believe. That's why he honors marriage and is such a beautiful part picture of the kingdom. But next week, we will be focusing on singleness, which yeah. I'm really excited about. What are you most excited about so far in your study? Um, gosh, just it's all, my study is all over the place. But I think what I'm most excited about is the opportunity to remind people, kind of what you talked about, that you are whole and complete as a single person. You're not waiting for your life to start. And so often we, we just have this narrative that life hasn't really started until you're married or you can't be mature until you're a parent. But the reality is like whatever path, God has you on, you can be complete and mature on that and path. So what would you say to every married couple who in the back of their head are thinking, I don't need to hear this message? Um, I would say come because you have single people in your life and to be able to learn how to value and support them and not feed into that narrative subconsciously is a tremendous way to love people the way that God does. We're such an eclectic mix of people here at Center City that I would say you want to know how to love the people around you more perfectly. And this is a great chance to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So can't wait. We'll be here Sunday, 9 a.m. and 11 in person, streaming at 11.